Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. This week, Illinois saw the highest number of COVID-19 cases in a single day since May. With over 12,000 parts of our states had been shut down with indoor dining bans in effect in Will, DuPage, Kankakee, and Kane counties. And, of course, an advisory right here in Chicago, a stay-at-home advisory put out to start on Monday. Health officials say these numbers have the potential to get worse as we enter the holiday season. All this information may be overwhelming and scary. So with me to answer some pressing COVID questions, as she does every week, is Dr. Mia Taramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. I'm not even sure where to start. Maybe I start with the fact that that we knew the second surge was coming, and we talked on Tuesday about this. Uh, But it continues to surge. Uh, what can be done? If, I mean, when we start talking about advisories and orders, I mean that that that's just the, we're getting close to using all the all all the tools in our toolkit. You know, we've we've tended towards kind of being two to three weeks behind what's happening in Europe, and uh, we, we can see what's going on in Europe right now. Entire countries are completely going on lockdown. Um, obviously, we have a, a big, larger feat in the United States to do something similar, and to some extent, it, it's almost hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I wish we could have had a national strategy uh, sooner. Um, so I'm not sure what more can be done, or if we're just all standing around watching this dumpster fire. We have to take on the personal individual responsibilities of what we know, what we can do in order to make this better. The problem is it doesn't help much if others simply are not. Yeah. And we're kind of in a lobster in a boiling pot moment where I I feel like, you know, just being inundated nonstop with the news about COVID-19 for the last six to eight months, I could see how people can adjust their lifestyles, who they are and how they want to live. And they haven't gotten sick. They're fine. Uh, You know, expanding their bubble. They're fine. Uh, They're just going to live that way. Why is this moment different than, say, a month ago, two months ago, or different than the norm that people have set up? You know, we have to look at these positivity rates. And, you know, we are, what you had just said is absolutely true. When you have large groups of people who are not personally affected by this and their friends are not personally affected by this, and to their knowledge, everyone they're around is healthy and well, it's hard to conceptualize the magnitude of what's going on in our communities. But we do have a, a situation now where percentages are approaching 15, 20, 30 percent in some areas and some states much, much higher than that, which means if you are standing in a room of 10 people, chances are one of those 10 is positive and doesn't know it. And we know the infectivity potential of this virus, and we can see where that lapse in judgment or that presumption of safety is leading to these astronomical climbs in case counts. You know, I also think about just the the idea here, and we've talked about this as well, but just, you know, trying to understand what it takes to to curb this i mean it's not going to happen until there's a vaccine you you mentioned it as well on this program and it's it's grabbed my attention i recognize that but are these the necessary steps when governments go into these kind of uh mitigation efforts these are the necessary steps that need to be taken uh to be able to curb what you just said 10 people getting together exactly and and we have to follow them 
And one of the, the issues is, is state by state and governor by governor, there are different rules, different regulations, and different ideas of what safety and what mitigation efforts there need to be. A coordinated, larger scale effort by uh, district or by, you know, I would I would love a national strategy. I don't see how that's going to be able to trickle down to all of our individual state governments with the needs of each state. But we need to all be doing the same thing at the same time in order to have success. Are you concerned about hospitalization rates? We had that conversation yesterday with just uh, how we're seeing them in some states much worse than Illinois, but Illinois, it's getting bad. It's getting bad. Um, the hospitalization rates uh, are, are pushing the brink. Uh, fortunately, our hospitals have, um, you know, had many months now to exercise a lot of the what ifs. So we do have the ability to expand out our uh, sick beds into uh, different departments and different areas in the hospital. We're utilizing a lot of alternative areas in the hospital as needed and making them into makeshift secondary ICUs and step down units. And this will continue for the foreseeable future. We're, we're seeing a tremendous number of, of inpatients that are not necessarily critical to the point of requiring ventilator support, but they're just taking a long time to get better. They've had the investigational therapies and they are slowly improving, but they still are requiring oxygen and they are, for lack of a better way of putting it, stuck in the hospital, creating scenarios where there's no room in the inn. So it's becoming difficult to move these patients through the hospital system. A lot, uh, I mean, obviously we've seen the death rate uh, climb in the second surge, but it's still uh, uh, behind what it was. A lot of it has to do with the the therapies and and what's being done when you are hospitalized, correct? I mean, you're getting better uh, doctors and, and, and the whole medical system has gotten better at treating this. We have. We we do have strategies to treat this. We have a hospital, hospital, and site to site. We have different protocols and algorithms that are written in order for us to stay ahead of what the predicted course is going to be based on labs, the patient's oxygen requirements, how they're doing, and to be able to pull the trigger on some of these um, investigational therapies sooner and have those conversations with patients sooner to try and stop uh, a lot of the cascade of events that can happen in COVID virus. Yeah. Let's start the uh, the calls now. Let's bring Kristen in. We'll start out in Des Plaines. Kristen, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Um, I have a question about for those who have tested positive and have since recovered and passed the quarantine stage, are those individuals still potential asymptomatic spreaders of the virus or are they no longer able to pick it up and spread it? Great question. Thanks, Kristen. That is a great question, Kristen. You know, the unfortunate part about the nature of these viruses is once you have fully recovered and hopefully developed some protective antibodies for some period of time, that should protect you from becoming reinfected. The problem is, is you absolutely could get exposed to a, um, a virus that can still reside in your nasopharynx and it may not infect you, but in theory could still be passed to others. So unfortunately, we don't have a, a immune, immune pass, so to speak, right. and, and we still have to you know, carry on all these strategies to try and protect others. Now, Dr. Termina, Marty from Evergreen Park called up and he asked about he's positive right now. And he said, how long do what 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 is the process uh, to to be able not to be non-contagious and to be back to entering in the world? 
You know, we know statistically that uh, for most healthy people under age 65 without any immunocompromising conditions, the vast majority will um, have virus that no longer is contagious by around day 10. So that's been the standard recommendation for most healthy people 10 days from the time of diagnosis. If you don't have a test, then it could be 10 days from the time of symptom onset. Otherwise, we like to use the day of the test as an abundance of caution. And, you know, around that time, that's when the body generally forms antibodies around day 10 or 11. And at that point, it is highly unlikely that any virus we can still detect is infectious. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back. Let's, let's go from Desplaines, come back into the city, go to Lakeview. Let's go to Tommy, who's standing by. Tommy, welcome to Reset. Hey, Justin, big fan. Um, my question was, uh, you've had people uh, on your program before who have talked about um, if we were to institute a stay-at-home order for six weeks, and people weren't ordering food or leaving their houses in any capacity, that in six weeks' time we could be a lot closer to getting over this. And I know that it's probably an unpopular move on the mayor or the governor's part, but I'm basically wondering why something like that Mm -hmm. isn't uh, considered more. Well, that's a great question, Tommy. And, and, and Europe does that, Dr. Termina. That's where they're at. You talk about locking down countries. Uh, they're kind of at that moment. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot to unpackage here because we have heard whispers of part of the coming strategy with the new administration could potentially be a four to six week lockdown, complete national order, uh, if this continues to spiral in the direction it's spiraling. So it is a topic that is going to be more up for discussion now than it had been in the past. That being said, there is a, uh, we have so much knowledge now about where this is spreading and how this is spreading and what indoor activities and events are the most risky. And because of that, we may not need to completely shut down again. If we can be responsible about limiting numbers of people in indoor spaces, you know, operating at 25% capacity or, you know, signing up for times to go to gyms and things Mm -hmm. like that, we may be able to continue to muck through and have a healthy balance between, you know, not closing completely down, but also, you know, uh, really trying to have some mitigation efforts in place. Yeah, that's a great. And Tommy, thanks for the call. Let's go to Rogers Park. Evelyn's in Rogers Park. Evelyn, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you. Um, I am waiting results, which are coming on Monday, um, for my you know COVID test. What I'm wondering is, if people have coronavirus, besides doing all the things that we keep hearing over and over again, washing your hands, stay inside, etc., what can people do if they do have coronavirus? Um, that will reduce the the time that they'll have it. If they're not having terrible symptoms, how can they make themselves better? You know, like if it's a like with uh, things like dairy. I mean, is there any research like, on yeah. how people can take better care of themselves? Evelyn, it's like it's like the idea. Like if I take uh, orange juice or or vitamin C, my flu or or cold symptoms will go away. Is it is is, is it is there anything like that with COVID? You know, there is, and we're starting to um, kind of hone in on several supplements that people are taking with some level of success, and we've had some time to kind of investigate those. So I would definitely encourage you to talk to your doctor. I don't want anyone using even supplements without having conversations with healthcare professionals. However, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, 
pepsid, melatonin, things that we can get over the counter have shown some efficacy in uh, possibly, you know, blunting the severity of some of these symptoms over time. We also know, as we learned more about this virus, that a lot of the mortality comes from the inflammatory cascade and from clotting issues. So you may want to talk to your doctor, too, about your candidacy to potentially take an aspirin a day or something along those lines as a clotting preventative. Yeah, it's like when I had uh, asthma when I was a kid, and we would I'd be over the uh, the, the pan of hot water <laughs> and they put the towel over my head. That was how our family did the uh, home remedies for that. So maybe we come up with something like that for COVID. Uh, let's go to Sakura, who's in Waukegan. You're actually in line at a drive-through testing site. I am. Yes. How long is it? Uh, it's about five blocks long. Mm, interesting. What's your question? What's your question for Dr. Termina? My question is that my insurance agent just called me 20 minutes ago and said. He, te- he and I spent some time together walking around a property that he's my agent for, and we both had masks on, and he tested positive that weekend. Mm. So today is seven days ago, and he's just telling me that you might have been exposed. So that's why I'm in line trying to get tested. So I have no symptoms. I have high energy levels. So what should I expect at that's this a, point? What should I do? Sakra, thanks for the call. Uh, Dr. Termina. Yeah. Well, you know, and and honestly, even if you had known the same day uh, that he was indeed positive, we really ask people if they remain asymptomatic to monitor for symptoms, but to not get tested until five to seven days after a high-risk encounter, that's going to be your best opportunity to capture a uh, positive test. So today is actually a very good day for you to get tested. You are going to want to hunker down while you're waiting for results. Try and keep a distance from everyone else and don't do any non-essential activities for a little bit of time here while you're awaiting uh, results. But, you know, what to expect. You're going to, um, you know, certainly have a test that's either going to be a nasal swab, a nasal pharyngeal swab, or possibly an oral swab. And hopefully you can get your answer uh, relatively soon and uh, then communicate further with anyone you may have had close contact yeah. with during this period of time. Thanks, Sakura. She's in Waukegan. So let's go uh, downtown and then go out west to Oak Park. Mary, welcome to the program. Mary, what's your thought for Dr. Teramina? Question is, as the air outside now is drier and colder, you know, we've heard heard, uh, comments that the virus spreads more effectively in dry, cold air. So my question is, are we needing to wear masks uh, when we're walking, when we're outside, possibly passing people on the sidewalk within three to six feet in most instances? More mask wearing outside now or same as during the summer? Thank you. That's a great question, Dr. Termina. Does the air, uh, the, the humidity in the air make a difference here? You know, it, it is one of the things where, you know, even before COVID was something that existed, we know coronaviruses and, and many viruses like influenza just prefer the fall months in general. So this is the ideal environment for uh, coronaviruses uh, to spread. We are to a point where outside doesn't necessarily equal safe anymore. Um, and you know, part of that is the volume of people that are interacting with each other outside. So I maintain if you are going for a run or if you are going for a walk alone and you have no one else near you or you're just with your uh, spouse or someone who lives in, with your home, probably mask wearing is not as important as it would be if you're going to be in a park where there's a lot of individuals that you might be passing. Mm-hmm. In that scenario where you can expect that you're going to be on a walk on a path and passing someone every you know, 20 yards or so, yeah, I absolutely would have a mask on during that period of time. As 
as knowledge is evolving uh, regarding masks, the CDC is once again, you know, pivoting a bit on the information and saying that we do have evidence that the mask also protects you, not just, you know, others from you. It's protecting you from others as well. And that viral load, right? That we talked about last week. That's a huge thing. All right, let's go, Dak. Let's let's, let's go right to the loop. Let's go to Dirk, who's standing by. Dirk, welcome to Reset. Yeah, good morning. Do you know what work has been done to rule out um, that the virus is being spread through common uh, heating and ventilation systems, especially in like buildings, apartments, condos. Yeah, thank you for that, Dirk, because we've heard so much about filtration systems, air filtration systems, on the last yeah. couple of weeks. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the newer and the more advanced technologies that are working towards a rapid circulation of airspace, um, you know, multiple times in an hour are certainly going to be best uh, and better than any stagnant rooms. There's tons of studies ongoing about uh, HVAC systems and ventilation regarding uh, the transmission of the virus in that uh, capacity. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where the data is still forthcoming. Hmm. All right. So as we wrap up here, I, I'm, I'm, I want to get one more call in before we wrap because we're right at the uh, at the end here. So let's uh, see if we can get Tom in Waukegan. We'll go back to Waukegan. Tom, welcome to Reset. Thank you. My question is this for a friend who's a school teacher. If the kids are wearing their masks and protecting themselves from COVID and also flu and cold and everything like that, when we finally take our masks off, will the kids be more susceptible because their immune systems haven't been exposed? Thank you. Thanks for that call, Tom. Dr. Termina? You know, there, there is that possibility that we have been uh, so stringent with the hand washing and, and alcohol hand sanitizer use and wearing so many masks that it has limited our exposure to other things, potentially making us more vulnerable to them when we do get exposed to them. But it's a risk benefit that we do have to take. And I think we are, are going to see mask wearing for a long time to come, even well after COVID is over with, just sort of normalizing kids that are under the weather, uh, but not sick enough to be home, just having that usual cough and cold symptom to perhaps be masked the entire time. For more Reset interviews, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. For more about the program, you can head over to the WBEZ website. Follow us on Twitter at at WBEZ Reset. That's it for Reset this Sunday. I'm Justin Kaufman. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.